Bibles tonight, would you go, you know, to the Gospel of John? It's not always easy to know what to, what to say, what to preach, when uh, some of you who've been a part of uh, the Equip Conference, you've been here uh, much of the day today, and you've been a part of the sessions, and others of you have just come in for tonight. Some of you are members of Arise Baptist Church, and we thank the Lord for you being here, and I want these days to be uh, refreshing to you, and I want to be a refreshment to those who are a part of the conference, and I just want to come along beside the other voices that are teaching and speaking and be able to say some things from the scriptures <coughs> in some sort of an exhortive way to help us to take those next steps to be better equipped to serve our Lord. I didn't tell you what chapter, did I? John 21, which is the last chapter in the Gospel of John. And it's the last chapter of the four Gospels. John lived longer than any of the other apostles. He was very possibly, when chosen to be a disciple, very possibly he was a teenager, young people. Could have been 18, could have been 19, we don't know. He was no doubt the youngest of all the disciples. He lived longer than the others. He, he wrote certainly the book of uh, Revelation in A.D. 90, 91, 92. Wrote the three epistles and he wrote the Gospel of John. What I love about the Gospel of John is he tells us stories and events and encounters in the life of Jesus that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't tell. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have been called the synoptic gospels. They give their vantage point, their viewpoint on many of the same events in the life of the Lord Jesus, and they, they, they give their, their uh, direction on it, and we, and we put their three stories together, and we get a full-scale picture of things. The, the only story that's repeated in John that the other three wrote about was the feeding of the 5,000, which reveals that that needed to be given with emphasis. I think, maybe I'm reading between the lines here, but I think the Lord is trying to teach us the importance of taking care of people, feeding people. I don't mean just so much literally, but shepherding, caring for people. And when we come to the Gospel of John, you begin to read miracles like the raising of Lazarus. I would, I mean, if I'd been Matthew, I would have written about that, man. I mean, that, that had to have been incredible. Don't, don't ho-hum your way through the Scriptures and don't look at that and go, oh, well, that must have been something. Are you kidding me? The guy was dead for three days. Behold, he stinketh. That's why I was thinking about that new boys dorm being built at Southland. <laughs> as soon as those boys get in there, behold, it will stink. What a shame. <laughs> and John, John gives us all these different events and encounters in the life of Christ. So think about this with me tonight. You've got Matthew's writing, you've got Mark's writing, you've got you have Luke's writing, and then along comes John, these four Gospels. I love reading the four Gospels. You come to the end of John's Gospel, 
And we come here to chapter 21. Honestly, when you come to the end of chapter 20, you almost think that ought to be the end of the gospel. In fact, look at the last two verses in John 20. Look at verse 29. It says, Jesus saith unto him, <coughs> I'm sorry, verse 30, verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Now, just listen to this. This sounds like the conclusion. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the sent one, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that believing, you might have life through his name. Period. End of sentence, end of paragraph, and it sounds like end of the book. And the Spirit of the Lord said, John, add this on to it, and I'm glad he did. Because it says in verse 1 of chapter 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again. By the way, this is the, going to be the third time he's going to show himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, which means twin, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, of course, that's James, and John, the author of this book, and two other of his disciples. We don't know who they were. People have guessed it's probably Andrew and probably Philip who was often put together with Andrew. Now verse 3. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Now, I don't know if you enjoy fishing. Uh, I, I do. I haven't gone fishing in a long, long time. I, I, I just haven't done it. And, uh, and I, it's, it's, it's usually relaxing. You know, it can be enjoyable, especially if you're catching things. But yeah. is there anything worse than fishing? Is there anything worse than fishing all night long and not catching anything? Yeah. You say, I don't know. You know, mosquito bites about the only thing you catch. Yeah. There is one more thing that's worse than fishing all night long and not catching anything. And we're about to read it. All right. Look at verse, uh, verse 5. Then, then Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? Did you catch anything? Now, would you put yourself on that boat with those guys? They're looking at each other and they're thinking, who's going to answer him? They don't know it's Jesus. They can't tell it's Jesus. There's something about the about two or three or four times in the scriptures that the resurrected Christ looked differently and they didn't, they didn't notice it was him. And so this stranger on the Galilee shore says, did you catch anything? You got any fish? You got any meat? Somebody gritted their teeth and said, no, what's worse than not catching anything? Somebody asked you, did you catch anything? No, we didn't catch anything. Verse 6, <laughs> and he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship. And ye shall find. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've got the gift of sarcasm, you, you'd probably say, Oh, we didn't think about that. <laughs> Cast on the right side of the ship. Come on, who is this guy? 
we've been casting all night long on both sides of the boat. What? And I don't know, maybe somebody said, well, maybe he can see something. I don't know how he's 100 yards away. I mean, let's just try one more time. So we, look what happens. You know what happens. They, and they cast their four, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Wow. <laughs> can you imagine the enthusiasm? And they're just, they're saying, wow, look at this. And then all of a sudden, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, of course, that's John's designation of himself. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. He said unto Peter, it's the Lord. You see, they've seen him do this before. And of course, oh, impulsive Peter grabs his outer coat because he's been stripped down for work and labor. He throws it on. He can't wait for that boat to get to shore. He jumps in the water. He's going to go swim to shore. He's got to get to Jesus. I, I, I love that about Peter. And they no doubt had a conversation just between the two of them. And we don't know what happened. I, I'd like to have heard that, but we don't know. This is not the first time Peter and Jesus have had a conversation. Peter has already um, confessed that he failed the Lord three times by denying him. We know that in a couple of passages. But now here come the other guys in verse 9. And so, as soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. Somebody counted those rascals. I, I, just, I just think that's interesting. Probably a pastor. And for all, or an evangelist, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. Come eat breakfast. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when, <coughs> when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? More than these, he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, yes, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. You know, this is, such a, it, this is such a story that has gripped my heart, honestly, for years. And I don't say that by just, just hyperbole. It really is a, one of my favorite sections of the Scripture. I've loved it for years. I used to tell it to my two grown sons now when they were little guys. I love this story. But I avoided preaching on it for years. Oh, I would reference it in messages, but I avoided it because 
there were some questions that I couldn't get a handle on, and I felt like when I get in the pulpit, I got to have a full, firm grasp on what's being done here so that I, when I preach it, I can, I can feel good about what I'm saying. You say, what do you mean? Well, oh, like when Peter said, I go a fishing. And when you start studying that, there are some people who, some commentators and some people, and, and if you study it out, you, you, you can't really tell, really tell, but some would say, Peter was saying, I'm going back to the fishing business. I'm no good at this discipleship stuff. I have failed the Lord. I denied him three times. I'm just going to go back to the fishing business. That might have been what he said. That might have been what he meant. And the other guy said, we'll go with you. Uh, you know, there are a lot of fishermen that were disciples. I, I don't know. There are others who believe that he was simply saying, you know something, I don't know what we're supposed to do. Let's at least fish for a night and make some cash, take care of some things. And, I, you know, I, I don't know what else to do. Jesus told us to meet him here in Galilee. So why not, I'll just go fishing for the night. That might have been what he, what he was saying. I don't know. And friends, you don't know. I don't know. But, and, and it really doesn't have any gigantic bearing on what's happening here. It could have been either one, but it, it bothered me because I didn't know. Another thing that came up was uh, the word love there. And, uh, and honestly, it's an interesting and, and, and a good study, uh, but uh, uh, the idea there is that when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And I know I'm not trying to pull the rug out from anybody who's preached this or taught this before, but J Jesus used the term in the highest ranking level of the common Greek, do you agape me? Do you love me with that divine love? And Peter comes back and he says to the second degree down, he says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Uh, I have such strong affection for you. And Jesus asks again, do you agape? And he comes back with that phileo. And the third time Jesus says, it is your love a phileo love. And Peter is breaking down and crying. Now, I, I, think, that it's, I think it's very possible and again, I'm not trying to cause any problems for anybody's teaching here, but it could be very possibly true that, that the whole weeping, grieving thing was that Jesus says, do you, okay, Peter, do you even love me with that second degree level of love? And Peter is weeping. However, I think the emphasis, I think the stress on the context and on the text is found in the fact that he was being asked three times. Do you love me? You say, well, what does that thing do with anything? John frequently used the word agape and phileo in other portions of Scripture interchangeably. I don't know why I'm spending time on this. I'm just trying to make something clear to you. It's something I struggled with. He used it even in reference to himself. In fact, what did I read here in verse, uh, what was it, verse, uh, uh, verse 7? He said, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He used the term agape. Look back in chapter 20. He said in chapter 20 and verse 2, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus is phileo. John often used those two terms interchangeably. And so I don't know if the emphasis is upon agape and phileo in this section. It could be. But here's the deal. 
once I backed off and began to really focus in on this passage and tried to lock in on some things, I began to see some things. Can you, can you use your sanctified imagination tonight after a busy day, after fighting traffic, after everything else, and would you just, can you, would you just of these disciples and picture what's happening? Jesus had told his disciples to go back to Galilee. He told them while they were in Jerusalem, meet me in Galilee. He told them more than once. He told them even through Mary's voice, uh, Mary Magdalene. And so here they've come back to Galilee. They don't know exactly when, but they know that Jesus is going to be there to meet with them and teach them. And so they come back, and, and then Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. Stay with me. Get the picture. All of a sudden, uh, they see this stranger on the shore, and, and John figures it out. That's the Lord. And Peter jumps in the water, and the disciples all get to shore. And what's happening? You know what's happening. We just read it. Picture it, picture it in your mind. There's a fire going, a coal of fires. Maybe, maybe Peter looked at that and remembered, I denied the Lord by a coal of fires. I don't know. Could be. And so they're standing around and, and the disciples come to shore and Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've caught and we'll eat it. And he says, come, come in. Come and dine. Now, I don't know if you're thinking on a weary Monday night, but you may be thinking, you know, Jesus already had fish on the grill, and uh, he's cooking it, and he's got toast there, and he's making them breakfast. And maybe your mind thinks, uh, wh wh where, did, where did Jesus get his fish and, and get bread? And my, my answer to you is, are you serious with that question? <laughs> Give me a break, man. This is Jesus. He could, he could have said, fish, come here. You know, and uh, jump right out of the water. A fish just, boom, he catches it and throws it on the fire. I mean, I don't know. You don't know. He could have looked at a stone. This wasn't Satan's uh, uh, pushing him. He could have looked at a, a stone and said, turn to bread. I, I don't know. But he's got breakfast going. And the guys come in and they start, they're sitting around and they're eating and they're enjoying breakfast and so forth. And, and, uh, and we read that this little conversation takes place back to back to back. I don't know that it happened that that back to back to back, but you know, they're eating and they're enjoying the meal and wrapping things up and maybe people are oh, yeah, stretching and yawning, don't get any ideas. And, 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 and all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, Simon, uh, son of John, son of Jonas, uh, do you love me? Now let me ask you something. What would you say if I ask you tonight, out in the parking lot or just after the service, do you love the Lord? I mean, you know what your answer would be. It'd be the very same thing that Peter, your answer would be the same as Peter's. You'd say, yes. Oh, man, do I ever. Man, I, I love the Lord. Yes. And, and Peter looked at him. He said, yes, sure. And Jesus said, okay, then feed my sheep. And then I can imagine somebody said, hey, uh, are you going to eat the rest of that fish on your plate? You know, I mean, you know, can I, can I have that? You know, and, and people, somebody's got a, little, a few pieces of bread left. And they go, anybody else want some bread? You know, we got before we, before we wrap this thing up and, you know, somebody asked for bread and they're, 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 uh, uh, they're, they're doing all this. And uh, I, I, I was, you know, I, I, they're looking at each other and they're talking and conversations are going on when all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, uh, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, yes, Lord, do you love me? And, and you know, everybody's sitting around there going, 
this. They're looking at Peter saying, boy, I'm glad he's picking on Peter. <laughs> or maybe there was a sense of sobriety and they're thinking, he's going to ask me next. They all scattered in, from the Garden of Gethsemane. John's the only one who went in to Pilate's Hall. But nevertheless, Peter kind of looking around, he's like, He's thinking, haven't we already covered this? <laughs> yes. I love you. And maybe one man over here off to the side, one of the disciples is leaning up against the shade of a tree and he's already sawing logs and maybe somebody else is stretched out trying to get a morning nap and somebody else is saying, hey, I'm going to put the fire out unless ever any, somebody wants more food, you know, and you know, let's get our trash together and they're cleaning things up and things are, are happening around like this. And, and, and uh, in the midst of all the conversations, maybe somebody says, what are we going to do today? I don't know. Let's just wait and see if Jesus has something he wants us to do. You know, they're standing around and sitting around, they're talking, and all of a sudden Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter starts weeping. He's grieving. He says, Lord, you know everything about me. You know me, and you know I want, I love you. I love you. And tend to my lambs. Feed my sheep. Jesus is recommissioning Peter publicly with all the other disciples there saying, go forth and do what I've called you to do. This is a serious question Jesus is asking. I mean, if I ask you, do you love the Lord? Yes, sir. I really do. Let's sing it, Brother Johnson. Oh, how I love. Okay. And I wouldn't deny it. You know, every true Christian loves the Lord. They really do. Jesus himself said, he said in, in, uh, uh, in, in John 8 and verse 12, listen to what Jesus said. He, says, he said, if God were your father, then you would love me. Okay, if God is your father, if he's your father tonight, you're going to love the Lord. On the negative, on the switch uh, side of that, it, it, the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 16 and verse 22, if if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Let him be sent to hell. Let him be condemned if he doesn't love the Lord. Every true Christian loves the Lord. Peter himself later on would write in his epistle in 1 Peter 1 and verse 8, Whom having not seen, you love. Okay, every true Christian loves the Lord. And your answer would be the same as Peter's. You know I love you. But he gets asked three times. This is serious. The one who knows him better than anyone else, the one who loves him more than anyone else, says, do you really love me? You remember junior high school? I guess we call it middle school now. Um, uh, junior high, I grew up in the Dallas area, and I went to this little junior high school, you know, where uh, I, I don't even have time to go there, but junior highers are like pre-people. I mean, they're just not, they're not... Uh, but they're a fun group to have around. They really are. Attention span of about, I don't know, 30 seconds. But I, I love them. And uh, they're, they're a great bunch of people. And I, I, I remember when I was about 13, I'd go to school before, you know, this, growing up, I'd 
growing up in Texas, growing up in that area, you grow up loving football, as I've mentioned before. And we'd come to school, and I'd be, me and my buddies would be standing around. We'd throwing the football around and catching and running pass patterns and having a great old time, just, just having a good time. And it was, it was great. It was wonderful. Get all hot and sweaty and lathered up, you know. And then, but you're in the seventh grade. You don't care. You don't care what you look like, your hair all uh, messed up and everything, and you'd go to first hour class, and you'd cool down in first hour class, and when the bell would ring, you'd get up, and the desk would go with you, because <laughs> your clothes would be stuck to the desk. Well, we, I went to a large junior high school, and so me and my buddies out there playing, then we'd all scatter in various directions. Everybody'd gotta, uh, go to their various classes and so forth. Well, after a few weeks of this, all of a sudden, my friends stopped meeting me out there, and we stopped. They, I was out there by myself. I'm out there just tossing my football in the air, saying, "You know, where is? You know, why aren't they showing up before we have to go to the first hour class? Where are they?" And and uh, for a couple of days, three days, that went on. Finally, I, I, it dawned on me uh, to to ask one of them. Again, we kind of scattered in various directions, but I I stopped one of them, my buddy Gary, <coughs> and I said, "Gary, I said, uh, where are you guys?" In the morning, I said, we're, we're playing, uh, you know, I, I, mean, I, I said, are you throwing the football around, playing a game somewhere else? He said, no, no, we're doing something else. And I said, well, what is it? You remember seventh grade? My buddy Gary began to confess to me that he was meeting with a girl. I thought he was being punished for something, you know, I thought... That little romantic bug had not bitten me yet, you know. I was still in elementary school where, mm, keep them girls away, you know. I wasn't ready for a Hallmark movie, you know. I really wasn't. <laughs> and I began to ask about all the guys that were out there normally th throwing the football, and they had all, they'd all paired off. I mean, all, I began to look around campus, and I said, well, man, living, it's happening everywhere. Okay. Little seventh grade boy, <laughs> seventh grade girl, you know, walking in. <laughs> boy, I got me a girlfriend, you know. <laughs> and they started pushing me. They said, Glycer, you got to get a girlfriend. I said, I don't want a girlfriend. Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I'll, I'll brief this. I'll make this very brief. I, I failed the peer pressure. I really did. Didn't want to do it. Said, okay. They said, get your girlfriend. I said, okay. Now, ladies, don't get mad at me. I, I, again, I, I didn't want to do it. Number two, I was 13. Number three, I was a guy. And so I just, I just didn't know what else to do. I, I just, <laughs> I looked around with my friends standing around. I said, okay, what's left? You know, I just kind of looked around like, like a farmer looking at cattle or something, you know, you know, you know just kind of looking things. Again, I ask you to forgive me. I, uh, you can ask my wife. I've become a bit more romantic through the years. <laughs> but at that time, man, it was, it was non-existent. I said, well, what's left? And they said, no, Morris, you've got you to gotta feel your way. You know, you've got to have a sense that this is, you know, they tried to explain. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't, you don't act like you know what you're talking about. But I said, all right. So I, I spotted a girl, and I said, I said, she looks halfway decent. I said, uh, what's her name? They looked at who I was pointing at, and they said, we don't know. I said, you think she's in the seventh grade? You know, because I, you got to stay in your age bracket, you know. We had seventh graders, eighth graders. We even had ninth graders in our school, you know. 
And I, I said, I said, you think she's in the seventh grade? I said, because, man, you know, those ninth graders, I mean, they're, they're almost ready for college. I said, we got, I got to stay in my age bracket. And my buddy said, well, we don't know who she is. We don't know if she's in the seventh grade. I said, you don't know her name? No. I said, you think she's got a boyfriend? We don't know. I said, well, go find out. Go, go, go ask around. Go find out what you can. So they snuck around and asked some questions. And, and uh, a little bit later on, they came back and they said, you're in business. <laughs> She's a seventh grader. Here's her name. Oh, I won't even tell you her name. But uh, here's her name. She's a seventh grader. She doesn't have a boyfriend. I said, oh, okay. Now, I've already asked for forgiveness. Ladies, please carry it at least one more le level and maybe even two more times. But anyway, this is about how it went. I didn't know what to do. I walked up to her and I said, You got a boyfriend? No. You want one? Maybe. I said, we'll consider it done. And I, I turned and walked away. And my, my buddy said, no, 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 no. You got to go talk to her now. I said, talk to her? Talk about it. You know, I don't know what to say to this girl. You know, did you get your homework done? I really don't care, but I mean, did you do it? Yeah, you know. I wanted to say, can you run a post pattern? I think I can hit you, you know, and I don't know what to say to this girl. And that went on for about four or five weeks, truthfully. I mean, uh, just it made me miserable. I didn't think it made her very comfortable either. But after about four or five weeks, I just walked up to her one morning and I said, hey, you know, whatever this thing is that you and I are playing this kind of game, I said, Let's don't do this anymore. And I saw her lip begin to quiver, you know, and I saw tears welling up. And I said, no, don't, don't start that. I said, we don't even know each other. And I said, and I said, it's not that important. I said, let's just be friends. And so then she took off running and she grabbed all of her girlfriends and they went into the girl's office, which is also a restroom. And they went into the restroom and in the restroom, they were in there talking about me, about that, that terrible guy. And so for the rest of that day, I had her friends looking at me like, you, you homewrecker, you, you. I said, you'll get over it. You know, if you had asked me then and if you asked me tonight, hey, Morris, did you love that girl? Well, the answer is clear and obvious, no, I didn't love her. She was a sweet girl. Believe it or not, she was a very kind girl. She really was. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I, you know, we were friends. But I didn't love her. Can a child, can a young person love? Yes. I had the capacity, but I didn't love her. You know, we can laugh about that little junior high misfortune and event in my life when it comes to the subject matter of true love. But this is no laughing matter in John 21. Jesus looks at his followers and he says, Do you? love me and we'd say yes <laughs> yes and then he says do you yeah yes and then he says if his eyes pierce down into your very being and your soul do you really love me what can we learn from this whole story can i just lay 
two or three principles on your heart tonight. We'll be done. Would you notice that Jesus is, first of all, for those who were at church last night, this is a, um, a double whammy of this. Number one, Jesus is communicating his patience. Here's these disciples coming to shore, and Jesus says, come and dine. I got your breakfast going, fellas. Come on, bring some of that fish you've got now. Yeah, we're going to eat, you know. Now look, Jesus could have said, what are you guys doing out there fishing? I mean, I told you to come over here and wait for me. Maybe they even knew where they were supposed to wait. Maybe on a particular mountain where they often met and had um, serious training times. Maybe. And Jesus said, Jesus could have said, <coughs> why, why, what are you doing out there? Now you're weary and you're worn out. You can't do anything. You're not of any value because you're physically weak. You've been out all night long messing around with the, uh, uh, the nets and so forth. You know, fellas... I don't know what I'm going to do. I, you know, I, I'm going to be here for just a few more days before I go back to heaven. You know, maybe, you know, you guys don't seem to get what I've been trying to say. Maybe I just will take the next few days and invest some time in some people who understand what I'm all about because you fellas, you just continue to disappoint me. You continue to fail. You continue to fumble along in your, your discipleship. I, I, you guys just don't get it, you know. Not a hint of that is being expressed here. Not a hint. Why? Because his mercy is more. Failure is not final. Peter, I know you failed me. I know you denied me three times. In fact, Peter, I told you before it was going to happen that you were going to do it. You said you never would. Peter, you, knew, you know that I tell the truth. And you failed me. You denied me. But failure is not final. If you sit here tonight and you think that this preacher is trying to say, hey, as a Christian, man, I can live any way I want to. I can sin anything. I'll, I can sin all I want and just kind of live highway, you know, just you know, down the highway of sin and just do what I want to do. Hey, this is great. I'm going to tell you something. You don't understand the Christian life. fact is I doubt whether or not you have Christ because a child of God doesn't want to sin. They don't want to fail the Lord. It grieves them when they fail the Lord. And they're hurting when they fail the Lord. And the conviction of the Spirit of God works on them. And Peter is saying, saying here at this time, he's saying, I'm no good at this discipleship. I think I'll just go back to fishing. Now, I'm looking at some folks here tonight. Maybe you battle with all kinds. No doubt you do. You battle with some area of failure. Maybe a worry. You're a worrier. You hate for me to even bring up the subject because you think, is he, is he going to preach? Is he going to preach on worry? Don't worry about it. I mean, the truth is, some of you battle with worry. You battle with temper and anger. Some of you get mad at, at uh, traffic. Just thought I'd throw that in right now. You, you battle with lustful thoughts of in, impropriety. You battle with selfishness. You battle with covetous thoughts. You can't stand to see somebody else get something you wish you had. You battle with self-pity. You feel sorry for yourself. And and when someone's telling you about some suffering they're going through, you, you find yourself thinking, boy, as soon as you get through telling you, I'm going to tell you about me, you know. And you battle with self-pity. You feel inconsistent in your Christian life. And you say, you know, I've tried to obey God, but I keep failing Him. I've tried to have a, 
a potent prayer life. But man, I'm living. I just keep stumbling in my prayer life. I can't be consistent in my walk with the Lord. I keep committing the same sin or sins over and over and over again. I know I'm just going to fail the Lord again, so why should I even try? And Jesus says, come, eat breakfast. I'm not through with you. The Bible says in John 6 and verse 37, Him that cometh to me, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. The words no wise is a double negative for literary forcefulness. It was as if he was saying, I will no, never, never cast you away from me. Someone has said this is not just a divine decree. It's a divine desire. Try to wrap your brain around that kind of mercy. He that comes to me, him that cometh to me, I will know never. I know we apply that to salvation, but child of God, Jesus was speaking to his people. I will know never, never, never cast you away. My good friend Rand Hummel has said for years, the difference between an average Christian and a godly Christian is not based upon how many times you fall, but how many times you get back up. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and rises up again. A just man, you don't need that explained. He falls. The word fall there, he falleth, means to experience disaster. Sinful disaster and sinful ruin. A just man falleth, he says, seven times. The word seven means every time. It means, it means the idea of always. He's constantly falling and then the word rises means he gets back up. He overcomes and he becomes prosperous for the Lord once again. He rises up again. Paul wrote his friend Timothy and he said, Timothy, stir up that gift which is in you. For God has not given you the spirit of timidity and fearfulness, but of power and of love and of a healthy mind, sound mind. He says, Timothy, you can serve the Lord. I know you've stumbled. I know you've been weak. I know you've allowed personalities to affect you. Timothy was a pastor in a very uh, strong church there in Ephesus with strong personalities. And, and, Paul, and Timothy's personality was one of sheepishness and timidity, probably because his dad uh, it was not even a believer, and Timothy kind of grew up with maybe a little sense of questioning himself a lot of times. You've been there? Insecurity? And Paul says, come on, Timothy, get back up. Don't let, don't let the struggles of your church cause you to be timid and fearful. Rise back up again. What kind of a father would you be, dads? What kind of a dad would take his little one-year-old toddler you know, it's showing signs of wanting to grow, uh, to, to walk. And he puts that little one-year-old there, and he goes, okay, Bubba. You know, this is Texas, everybody's kid named Bubba. He goes, all right, Bubba, uh, uh, come over here to Daddy. Show, show Daddy that you can walk. And that little hunk of flesh takes about two steps and falls flat on his face. What kind of a dad goes, well, what is your problem? What is the deal? Try, stop crying. Try that again. Props him back up, and he says, all right, Leroy, come right on over here. Come walk into me. Here we go. And the kid takes seven, eight steps, and he falls down. What dad looks, oh, he says to his wife, he must be from your side of the family, because I, I, I'm just telling you, in my family, we walk. I'm just telling you. No. A loving father says, that's okay, son. 
Look how far you went that time. Keep trying. Get back up. Keep coming. Keep going. You know, Jesus is communicating his patience. It would be wonderful for pastors and servants of the Lord who feel like, I'm just no good at being a parent. I'm just no good. I've been listening to these sessions. I'm thinking, I've blown it. I haven't discipled like I needed to. I haven't, I haven't been instructing uh, my kids like I need to. I'm just not the mother I need to be. I'm not the father I need to be. I'm not the Sunday school teacher I need to be. I'm not the pastor I need to be. I'm not the Christian I need to be. I'm just, and Jesus says, I'm not through with you. I'm not through with you. Get back up. He communicates his patience. Number two, he calls for priority. Look at verse 15 with me again. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me, notice these words, more than these. This was the other portion of the scriptures that just blew me away when I was trying to study it. I was thinking, what was Jesus referring to? More than these, what? It's fascinating when you start trying to uh, study it and you learn the language and so, try to dig into some of the language and everything. You find out that it doesn't help you at all. <laughs> Do you love me more than these, what? And then you, then you go to the brainiacs, all the commentators. They can't agree either. You come down to about three different categories. Some people would say, that Jesus was referencing the fishing business, the tackle gear, the ship that they just gotten off of. Maybe Jesus was saying, do you love me more than these fish? Or, Peter, are you going to go back to the fishing business? Are you going to go back and, and just try to make money in this world? Are you going to go back to uh, the tackle and gear and, the, and all the things that I called you from? That could have been what he was referring to. Or he could have pointed over to the other disciples and he could have been saying, now, now, Peter, do you love me more than you love these disciples? Do you, do you love me more than them? I mean, they're your, they're, you know, there's Andrew, possibly. He's your brother. And there's uh, James and John, probably cousins. Do you, do, and these are your buddies. I mean, you've been hanging out together for over three years. Do you love me more than you love them? Or the only other thing that people have come up with, and, and maybe you lean this way, is that Jesus was saying, you know, Peter, a few days ago, when I told you that you would all be scattered and that you would deny me, you said, oh, well, yeah, yeah, they will. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know those guys. I mean, those are a bunch of, yeah, they're, they're going to deny you. But I, yea, verily, I will never deny you. I'll go to the death for you. Hey, Pete, how's that worked out for you? Now, Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have been sarcastic, but he could have been saying, do you, do you really love me more than they love me? Do you love me more than these love me? You say, Morris, what do you think it is? It doesn't make any difference. And the truth is, we could take a vote tonight. It doesn't make any difference. Don't miss the main point. What's the main point? Jesus was calling for priority. He was saying, do you love me more than, here it is, fill in the blank. Do you love me more than your business? Do you love me more than your family? Do you love me more than your ambition? Do you love me more than your dreams? Do you love me more than your retirement plan? Do you love me more than anything 
and everything. Do you love me more than everyone or anyone? Look, when I preach to teenagers, for which I will be eternally grateful for the joy and privilege of it, I never get tired of it. I say that because Mike's here and I want him to know it. Uh, the, the truth is, I, I will say this to teenagers every time I go to preach at a teen camp or a youth rally or a Christian college or anything. I will most often pull up a chair and I'll say, teenagers, young people, your heart represented by this chair is a throne. And it has only room for one king, one God, one master, only one Lord. I'll say, now young people, if it's not King Jesus, then you've got some other king occupying the throne of your life. Maybe it's king sports. Oh, you know, I just, I got to play sports. I just, I just, I don't want to lose my ball team opportunities, you know. And then I'll say for somebody else, no, it's, it's your music. Oh, please. You know, I love the Lord, but don't make me give up this music. I love my music. For somebody else, I'll say teenagers, maybe it's uh, all of your friends. This, that's a big one. I mean, you love your friends. I wonder what they think about me. I hope they like me, and I hope, hope that, uh, we, you know, I, I'll be accepted and confirmed by them and, and so forth. And, oh, I love the Lord. Don't, don't, don't go far away, Lord Jesus. I need you at times. But I really love my friends. And then I'll say, or maybe, young person, maybe it's one particular friend, some guy, some girl. They occupy your supreme throne. Maybe it's a car, maybe it's your hunting guns and rifles, maybe it's all your technological gadgets and gizmos. And then I'll say, young people, maybe it's time for you to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to clean off my heart and I'm going to get that other thing out of, my, out of the way. Lord, take over first place once again. It was Jesus who said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, they'll be added unto you. Come up close to your Bible and listen to me. What's good for teenagers? It's good for every one of us in this room. Do you love the Lord? Yes, Morris, I love him. I don't deny it. I don't doubt it. And Jesus says, but I need priority. Do you love me more than all your dreams? For your kids you say what's what's wrong with that not a thing in the world in fact i'd be worried about you if you didn't have desires for your kids jesus says but do you trust me do you love me do you love me above your house the things that you have some goals that you have for your life to accomplish before you reach a certain age the lord says do you love me Above all, there's so many examples I could give in the scriptures. Would you just wrap your brain around this? Think about Daniel and the three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What do you think when, when Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon was attacking Jerusalem? What do you think those boys were thinking? Please, oh God, we love you. Please, please allow us to live here. Don't, don't let us be captured. Next thing you know, they're being pulled out of a closet or out from underneath a bed or something, and they're snatched away, and they're being taken away. Don't you think every one of those boys were probably thinking one day, I'd like to get married? And they were made to be in such a way they were not able to ever get married. And what did they have to do? They had to say, Lord, we trust you. We don't know what you're doing. 
but we love you above all other, lo all other loves. We trust you. And even if we're not delivered from this fire, we're going to trust you. There are going to be times when you're going to be confronted with a fire of one sort or another, and you're going to have to answer the question, do I love him above all other things, including myself? Do I love him even above my own life? Do I trust him? Jesus calls for priority. I don't know your heart throne tonight. Would you just answer in your own heart? Because Jesus is saying to you, do you love me? And I really need to get on to the final thing because this is why we're here this week. In every three, all three occasions when Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter answered in the affirmative. Jesus came back with this. Then feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Tend to my lambs. Feed my sheep. Care for my flock. And if your brain is still in gear tonight, <laughs> you may be thinking, well, he was calling Peter to be an under-shepherd, a shepherd of a flock, to be a pastor. And that's exactly right. But friends, don't miss the principle that's being taught here. Jesus is saying, if you will put me in first place, if, 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 if you will recognize that I, I'm communicating my patience with you and I'm calling for priority, he then says, I'm clarifying your purpose on this earth. What's that? I want you to take care of my flock. What is that? Well, for those who have been here all day, you've heard this term. I, maybe we ought to check it off how many times we heard the term. Discipleship. Investing in other people's lives. We're all, we're all people. We can all say, I thank God for this person and that person and those people who poured their life into me and taught me and gave me a mentorship and showed me how to live. Can I tell you something? When you really love the Lord, you want to say, Lord, how can, I, how can I prove to you that I love you? He says, here's how. Invest your life in other people. Pour your life into other people. Give your life in ministry. But Lord, I love you. Yeah, I know. But, but show me that you love me by feeding my sheep. You know, every child of God is to have a ministry. And I don't know how long you've known the Lord Jesus, but if you've known the Lord for any time at all, you ought to be looking for opportunities to invest your time and life into other people. We're talking both evangelism and the ongoing discipling of that new birth believer. And taking time to show them how to come to know the Lord in a more intimate way. It's just like we're, we're just a few steps ahead of that, that new disciple saying, come on, come on, let me teach you. Hey, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Let me tell you, Here, here's how you handle that temptation. Here's how you handle uh, the, these trials. Let me just come on, keep, keep coming, keep going. And you teach them because you're just a few steps ahead of them. My point is Jesus was saying, if you love me, I'm telling you, here's your purpose on planet Earth. Are you still breathing? You say, well, if you preach much longer, I won't be. Well, if you're still preaching tonight, if you're still, still breathing tonight, maybe it's time for me to quit. If you're still breathing, then the truth is you have a purpose. What's that? To invest your life and time in other people. Not just living, not living for self. You got children at home, you can disciple them. 
you got a, you got a, a, a titled ministry at your respective churches, then invest your time in those people that you come in contact with. You say, I don't have a title. I don't have anything. Don't just be an audience. Be a part of the army. Be a part of the, the family of God that's looking for somebody. You know, you can find somebody that needs help and encouragement all every day of your life. You're walking around, you're going to see somebody that's going to need an encouraging word. You're going to find people at church that could use your smile, could use your attention, could use your time. Invest your life in other people. The most miserable person on the planet is not an unsaved person. It's a saved person who misses the purpose for living. This is why I'm here. Lord, I love you. And I'm going I'm to pour my life into other people. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command of all? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, body. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor. Love others as you love yourself. The Bible goes on to say in, the, in, the, in, in Romans 13 and verse 8, You have fulfilled the royal law. You have fulfilled the law when you love one another. Jesus bowed down with a bunch of dirty feet of the disciples and he washed their feet and he said I've done this as an example for all of my true disciples give your life in service to wash dirty feet not literally but take the lowest position in life and invest in other people to encourage them to strengthen them to help them in their personal journeys prove your love for God by loving others. You say, Morris, you know, some people are so hard to love. Can I just tell you something? God can break your heart for people. Prove your love for God by serving others. Prove your love for God by sacrificing for others. Prove your love for God by forgiving other people that are hard to forgive. Don't just attend church. Affect the church. Don't be touchy about things going on. Well, eh, pastor's wanting to, he's wanting to change the paint on the wall. Uh, uh, pastor's talking about putting, I don't know, you know, uh, new carpet down or something. Uh, uh, I'm against it. I'm against it. Uh, don't, don't do it. You know, don't be so touchy about things like that. Don't be touchy, but touch lives in the journey of your Christian life. I've told this story so many times. Anybody who's heard me preach has heard me tell this. Years and years ago, I was preaching a winter retreat in central Florida to a, a large youth ministry. There was about 100 and 135, I think, teenagers from one church that had gathered down in central Florida, and they asked me to come and preach. And, a youth pastor who had invited me to preach, and so I said, I'd love to. So I went, and I was preaching. And uh, one afternoon, I was outside. Uh, we were throwing footballs and Frisbees around and so forth, and uh, I heard music coming out of the uh, chapel building where we were having our services, and, and it, I was reminded, oh, yeah, they, they've got a special ensemble that's going to sing in church in the, church, the evening service. I said, I'm going to go inside and hear them practice. So I stepped in, I, I sat down on the second row, and up on the platform was about 12 or 15 kids singing 
from this youth group and the choir director, the music guy, was down here and he was trying to work all the kinks out of the music that you have to do and so forth. I love to hear the finished product. I, the process is difficult for me to endure, but anyway, they were, they were working through the, you know, give us that note again, ding, 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 okay. Uh, you guys singing bass, just leave the room. And those, you know, and they were they were working on the song, and they, and I'm sitting there. And the youth pastor who had invited me to to preach came in and sat down beside me, and I looked up there and I said, I said, Steve, I said that that girl up there, the second one on the right, I said, I bet you you wish you had a hundred girls like her, don't you? He said, Which one are you talking about? I said, The second girl on the right, dressed in, you know red, whatever, and he looked back up and he said, oh, man, he said, if I had a hundred girls like her, he said, I'm telling you, my city would feel the impact of it. He said, that girl loves the Lord. I said, yeah. About three minutes passed, I'm guessing. He hits me in the shoulder and he goes, hey, wait a minute. Do you know her name? Have you met her? I said, who are you talking about? He said, the second girl on the right. He said, have you met her? I said, no. What's her name? He said, you mean you haven't even talked to her? And you sat here and said, I would wish to have a hundred girls like her? I said, yeah. He said, how could you do that? I said, Steve, look back up there. I said, look at that countenance. I said, that girl's not just working on music dynamics. I said, she's not just working on her blend. She's not just working on her notes. She's not just, I said, look at that countenance. I said, she's singing about somebody she loves. And it's written all over her. He looked back up and he said, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. I never did meet that girl that weekend. But uh, three years later, Two, maybe three years later, I was at a Christian college. I had taken some teenagers to go visit a Christian college, and we're standing around in a kind of a student center area where kids come and buy snacks and hang out and talk and everything. We're standing around. In through the door walked a college girl. It was that girl that I had seen earlier, a couple of three years ago. She spotted me. She started coming toward me, and I, I kind of took a step or two toward her, and she said... Brother Gleiser, she said, hi. I said, hey, it's good to see you again. No, 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 no. She said, we've never met. I said, I know. I said, but I know who you are. She says, no, we, we've never met. I said, I know, but I know who you are. She goes, how, how do you know me? I said, you were at that winter retreat two, three years ago from such and such a church down in central Florida. She said, yeah. How, how did, how'd you know that? I said, just do. I said, are you a student here? Yeah, I, yes, I am. I said, well, good. I said, what are you studying? And with all sincerity, I saw her eyes fill with tears. She didn't start crying, but with all sincerity, with emotion in her eyes, she looked at me and she said, I believe God wants me to be a missionary. And she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. She goes, I'll go anywhere he wants me to go. She said, I, I, I told him I'll serve him across the globe, anywhere. And she said, I'm dating a guy, <laughs> and he too believes that the Lord wants him to be a missionary. And, 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 and it may be that the Lord wants us to go together, but she says, it doesn't make any difference if, if, if he's not the one for me to marry. I don't know, but I just know this. I'm going to 
I'm going to go to the mission field and follow the Lord. And, and I looked at her and I said, I don't doubt it. She said, what makes you say that? I said, just trust with me. I know you love the Lord. She goes, I do. I'll do anything he wants me to do. And I was reminded then, and I was reminded later on many other times in my life, and I'm reminded primarily through the scriptures like this, where the Lord says to me, do you love me above everything, anything? Do you, can you trust me with your life? Then serve me by serving other people. Invest your life in others. May God help us to practice this. Jesus says to you, do you love me? Yes, sir, I do. And then he says, look at me. Jesus says, do you? Do you? Father, I pray for these dear friends who sit in front of me tonight, body weary with activity of the day and traveling and all that's gone on in their life have no idea the trials that they may be facing. I have no idea the difficulties that they may be dealing with in their respective ministries. But God, I, I thank you that you're so patient with us, long-suffering and merciful, because we fail you so frequently. But you're not through with us. I pray that you'll encourage someone who is Maybe a bit discouraged tonight because they feel like they can't do what other people can do. And Lord, I pray that you will help them to uh, get back up and go at it again. I pray for those who tonight have found that there may be some things that have grabbed their attention and distracted them from keeping you on the throne room of their heart. May they clean off their heart and say, God, take it over again. Lord Jesus, you're my king. And then, Lord, help us to all invest our lives in other people, serving you by serving them. Our heads are bowed. May I ask you tonight, did the Lord speak to you and challenge you about anything particular? Or did he talk to you about something that needs to be worked upon in your own life and heart? Did the Lord bring something to your attention to tonight? that you needed to hear and you say more as he did I needed this I heard something I was reminded of something and I I've been spoken to from the Lord God challenged me if that's so would you lift up your hand all over the room God challenged me I just needed this wonderful wonderful let's do this tonight if you want to get on your knees feel free to do so but I'm gonna do something a bit different tonight I challenge you just to stay seated. You say, what? Yeah, stay seated and make that your altar right there tonight. Take some time to talk to the Lord about whatever it is he's talked to you about. And when you're through praying, then stand up. If the person next to you prays longer than you, don't feel guilty. It's not a contest. You stand up when you're through praying. If the person next to you is finished praying before you are, don't feel rushed. You finish your prayer. Just stand up when you're finished. You say, do I have to pray? Of course not. But if the Lord has spoken to you about something in your own life that you need to talk to the Lord about, <coughs> he says to you, his servant, I want to use you. I want to use you. Do you love me?
then feed my sheep. You take time with your Lord tonight. On your knees, sitting there, you take time with your Lord. Father, finish this service as only you can. We ask it in your name. The time is there for you, friend. You pray for as long as you need.